You're listening to The Common Faith Podcast. The topic is always Christianity and the things we should believe in common. Welcome to the program. I'm Barry. Thank you for joining me today and choosing to spend your time listening. I deeply appreciate that. Today's topic is the goodness of God. So I suppose the place to start is, let's get the question right out there, is God good? And I suppose it depends on who you ask. Maybe the thing we need to do first is ask, what does it mean to be good? And if we're going to go a dictionary sort of route, we're going to end up somewhere in the neighborhood of a state of moral virtue. You'll see a number of different definitions, but in terms of what we're talking about, it's about moral virtue. And if somebody has a high state of moral virtue, we're going to say that they're good. In uh, reference to God, we're saying, does God have a high state of moral virtue? And even that's kind of a funny question because who gets to decide what moral is. And of course, in our worldview, a Christian worldview, that's God. God gets to decide. But apart from that, we all have an idea, an internal idea of what goodness is. And so based on that for a moment, if we just focus in on what we consider to be good in our hearts, we all have some idea of what goodness is. We're going to apply that to God and ask, essentially, does he measure up? So What does it mean to be good? It means having moral virtue. And how do we determine whether or not there is moral virtue there? What I'm suggesting is that there are going to be certain behaviors that come out of that moral virtue. Like you can look at a person, and of course we can't look at God, but in a human realm, we can look at a person and say they're good or they're not good, but it's not based on being able to measure their moral virtue in that moment because we can't see it. Really what we're saying when we say somebody is good, it means that we've watched their behavior and there's some behavior that has come out of that moral virtue. And we're using that behavior to make a judgment that they are a person of high moral virtue and therefore we say they're good. So with God, probably one of the qualities of his character that we see the most and that we use as a sign that God is good is his kindness. His kindness is a sort of generosity that flows out of that moral virtue. At least that's how I get my head around it. And there's many other things. I'm just saying that kindness is one of those things. So when we're reading the scripture and we're meditating on the kindness of God, that really leads us to a place of going, wow, you know, God is really, really good. Especially when we consider his dealings with fallen mankind and his kindness through the process of redemption. I mean, just tremendous, overwhelming. You can't overstate how kind he has been towards the human race. We look at that kindness and we say, yeah, that's a sign of high moral virtue. God is good. What do unbelievers think about the goodness of God? I think we can kind of take a guess for many of them. But I would say that I think it's fair to say that the goodness of God is questioned by most unbelievers. And 
When I talk to people who do not believe, oftentimes the argument I get is that they can't serve a God that would do, and then they give you a list. Any God that would allow this, boom, boom, boom. Any God that would do this, boom, boom, boom. I can't believe in that God. So I would say that definitely God's goodness is in question among unbelievers, and it's for all the usual reasons, right? Look at the condition of the world. Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, if God is so good, why did my mother get cancer and die when I was only eight years old? You know, that sort of stuff. But what we're really talking about in those situations is experiential reality and the perception of God's character. And it flies in the face of the idea that God is good. I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of experience in this world flies in the face of the idea that God is good. And so unbelievers, unable to get past that, come to the conclusion that God is not good. Or even odd, more odd, they refuse to believe that he exists because they go, well, this concept in and of itself is not good. I refuse to believe in that. And so that's what we get from a lot of unbelievers. What do Christians think? Of course, you're thinking, yeah, Christians think that God is good, but I'm not convinced of that. Now, I will admit that it would probably be pretty hard to find a Christian who would say, yeah, I don't believe that God is good. I'm talking about a legit believing Christian. And so I will admit it's probably hard to find one that won't say that God is good. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and make the point that there are Christians, lots of Christians who, in effect don't believe that God is good. And I'll give you an example. There are all sorts of Christians who believe in doctrines that say that some people are created for fellowship with God and everlasting life. And it's like a fait accompli. It's going to happen no matter what. It's predestined or whatever. And there are other people, in fact, most people, the vast majority of people who are living or have ever lived are not going to spend eternity with God, that in fact they were created for the purpose of living under God's wrath, and they will suffer horribly, immeasurably, unimaginably forever. There are Christians who believe this, that believe that some people, most people, are going to suffer forever. They literally were created for damnation. There's these lucky few who have been created to have fellowship with God and, and enter into the joy of his kingdom and all that sort of thing. If you're one of the people who are the lucky ones, that's kind of what it comes down to. We're the believers, and yes, we're going to spend eternity with God, and he's so good. Of course, we're going to say he's good. But let me ask you a couple of questions. What if you are one of the unlucky people that God created to suffer wrath for an eternity? How good is God then? Actually, let's go another route. What if it's your wife or one of your children or another close family member or a friend that's that unlucky soul that was created for damnation? Well, how good will you perceive God to be then? This whole thing within that realm of those doctrines, I guess it's from what ground you're standing on. If you're standing on the higher ground, you think God is great because you're like, woo, at least I'm not one of those unlucky ones who are going to suffer forever. And I kind of think about that, like if I was one of these people that God created for damnation, like if this was a legit thing and God, for whatever reasons, I'm going to create people so that I can put a beat down on them forever. If I'm one of those people, I'm not very happy that I've been created, am I? 
It would be better to have never existed than to suffer eternal damnation. I definitely am not thinking God is very good from that perspective. And so I'm making the argument that even though they're not going to use these terms, I'm talking Christians that believe these doctrines, that even though they're not going to use these terms, that by virtue of embracing these doctrines, they are saying that God is not good. Because let's just step back. What if in the earthly realm, what if I had children for the purpose of beating them up the rest of their lives? What if I said to my wife, I think we should have more kids and we have some more kids. And so my first kid and my third kid, okay, those are going to be the children of blessing and we're going to love them and take care of them. But child number two and child number four and five and six, we're going to horribly abuse those children and we're going to make their lives a living hell. So based on my behavior, what kind of assessment are you going to make of my moral virtue? Are you going to say that this is a good father? that this is a good parent. Well, now let's apply this to God. If God creates people for damnation to put an eternal beat down on them, well, how good is he then? And that's why I'm making this argument that people that embrace these doctrines, even though they don't say it, they don't say that God is not good. By virtue of the doctrine, they essentially are saying that God is not good. So what do Christians think? Yes, most Christians think that God is, is good. But as I just tried to make my point, I think there are some Christians that don't think that God is good. They justify that. They would probably say, yeah, he is good because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, well, but if you step back and look at it, what you believe in is not a very good God. So what does the Bible say? Well, obviously the Bible says God is good. 25th Psalm says, good and upright is the Lord. I mean, that's pretty much case closed. In Psalm 5, it says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Here we have an expanded statement of God's goodness and the opposite, because God is against wickedness, because God punishes wickedness. This is proof of God's goodness. So we have it both ways. We have the Psalm saying that God is good. And then we also have this other Psalm saying that he's good by virtue of his opposition to evil. So let's go into the New Testament. In uh, the 10th chapter of Mark, there's a story about Jesus. It's an interesting story. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, God. That's a mind-blower story. And we're talking the Son of God. And in this situation, if only for the purpose of the narrative, he kind of separates himself from being connected with God. Because he says, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. That in itself, we could have an interesting conversation about that one. And I'm not suggesting that there's any split between Jesus and the Father. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's really interesting there that Jesus rebuffed this praise when he said, good teacher. And Jesus rebuffs that, says, why do you call me good? That's interesting. He says, no one is good, but one God. And so there we have a New Testament testimony that God is good. And not only that, that he's the only one who is good. And this gets back to my original point. 
when we start saying, what does it mean to be good? Well, you got to have a moral standard. Who sets that standard but God himself? So basically, whatever God is, that's what good is. Otherwise, what are we doing? Are we saying that we're greater judges than God, that we're going to take our concept of goodness and apply it to God? And if he doesn't meet our standard of goodness, then he's not good. Well, that's what unbelievers do. That's what experience does. And let's do talk about experience. What does our experience say? And I will say that my experience as a believer is that God is very good. But what about experience in general? Because sometimes bad things happen. And to be honest, sometimes those bad things happen because we make horrible choices. The guy goes out to the pub after work with his buddies. He has a couple beers. He's on his way home and it's icy or it begins to ice. And he loses control of his vehicle, crashes into a telephone pole, and he's paralyzed the rest of his life. And for whatever crazy reason, he blames God. Well, he's paralyzed because he made some bad choices. Okay, that's why he did that. He really can't blame God for his choices. And we do this all the time. I chose my wife, and I've been very blessed, to be honest with you. I think I have a great wife. She's been very good to me. But what if it turned out to be a train wreck? Can I blame God that my marriage is a train wreck? Because I chose her. So sometimes bad things happen to us because we make horrible choices. But what about those times when it has nothing to do with our choice? And isn't Job the classic for this? The why do bad things happen to good people? Job. And I assume you know the story of Job, but I'm going to just give it a shot here real quick, just in case you don't know the ins and outs of it. There is this meeting in heaven and the Satan, the adversary, shows up and presents himself before God. And God starts bragging about this guy named Job. And he says, have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody like him on the face of the planet. And the devil says to God, he says, well, yeah, of course he loves you. <laughs> of course he's a good guy. It's because you've blessed him. And if you took away all the stuff that you blessed him with, he'd probably curse you right to your face. And so God says, all right, give it a shot. Take away his stuff. So he basically gives the devil permission to put a beat down on Job. And that's exactly what the devil does. All of Job's kids get killed. The house falls in and crushes them. Raiders come in and steal all his animals. And the guy goes from being very wealthy to being penniless. And the only one that survives of his family, obviously he survives, his wife, who isn't much of encouragement if you know this story. Because when she looks at this whole situation, she's thinking, wow, you must have really done something bad. Otherwise, God wouldn't allow this to happen to you. Her advice to him is that he should just finish the job, curse God, so that God will kill him. Believe it, she says, uh, curse God and die. And that's the implication that he would curse God and God would finish the job. If you know the story, Job doesn't do any of that. He doesn't curse God. Instead, he does the opposite. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Like, mind blower. And so then we cut back to the scene in heaven, and the devil is presenting himself before God, the Satan, the adversary, I'm referring to him as the devil, and God starts bragging again. Have you seen my servant Job? We ruined this guy, and he still maintains his testimony. And the devil says, yeah, well, that's because you haven't personally touched him. Like, he hasn't physically suffered. If you caused him to personally and physically suffer, he'd curse you to your face. And so God says, so be it, go for it. And he says, but you're not allowed to kill him. 
And so Job is horribly afflicted with disease, has these boils and things that break out on his skin. It's horrible. And what ends up happening here is he has these friends come along that are having a chat with him and trying to do the same thing that his wife did. So you must have done something wrong. If you'll admit that what you did was wrong and ask God to forgive you, he'll forgive you and he'll heal you, restore you. But Job says, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. And so now we blast through like 40 chapters of these guys arguing back and forth where his friends are saying, you must have done something wrong or this wouldn't happen to you. And he's saying, I listen, I didn't do anything wrong. And this is the book of Job. And the truth is he didn't do anything wrong. This is a perfect example of a bad thing happening to a really good person for apparently no reason at all, other than God is bragging about him, which is what in my world, I don't want God bragging about me, right? If this is what happens when God brags about you, yeah, no, I just keep me on the DL. In any case, at the end of this story, God shows up and in a whirlwind and he answers Job and he says to him, get ready to answer me like a man. He says, when I question you, you inform me. He says, would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Wow. He's like, okay, Job, you want to be innocent? Go ahead. You keep going. But what you're saying is that I'm guilty then. I'm guilty because I allowed this to happen to you. Would you really challenge my justice? Now, from our worldly perspective, we're looking at this and we're like, what justice? But Job is caught up in a bigger thing here. Like maybe if Job knew that he was part of this plan to put the devil to shame, I don't really know all the ins and outs of what is going on there, but if he knew he was part of a bigger plan and a bigger wisdom of God, it would have been more tolerable. I think the same thing about us in our experiences when bad things happen to us. If we understood that God is allowing in his wisdom things that he could have easily prevented with his power, it would be tolerable. Let me say that again. Bad things happen to us because God allows in his wisdom things to happen to us that he could have prevented with his power. God's sovereign. If he wants to step in and stop some kind of injustice that is coming against us, he could do it. But God's wisdom is unfathomable. You know, his plans have plans. I mean, it is so deep you can't even begin to get your head around it. So this is why in the book of James, it says that we're supposed to consider it joy when we go through hard times. It says, because knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. So in other words, because there's something good that's going to come out of this thing, we should consider it a joy. And I like the fact that it says, consider it a joy. It doesn't say you should feel joy whenever you get hammered. That's just crazy. You're not going to feel joy when you get hammered. It says, consider it a great joy. Why? Because you know that God is going to work something good out of this. Isn't that true? Isn't that why the scripture tells us that we're supposed to give thanks for all things? We should give thanks for all things. Why? What do you mean all things? Even the bad things? Yes. Why? Because God is working it all for good for those that love God and are called according to their purpose. So this is why complaining is such a sin. If we can go there for a second, since we're looking into like, what does experience say? Well, sometimes experience says God is not so good. And sometimes we agree with that experience by complaining. And essentially, if you think about all complaint is against God, because God in his wisdom, whatever it is you're complaining about, God allowed it. We just went through an election and there's a lot of people that are complaining about the outcome. Well, God allowed it. He could have prevented it with his power, but he didn't. 
He allowed everything to happen just as it happened. But again, he promises that he's going to work all things together for good for those who love him. I keep telling people all the time, I'm not worried. The Bible tells me I have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why would I even invest an iota of concern over something as silly as a human election? I serve the king who sits on the throne over the universe. You think I'm going to complain about something as silly as a human election? People who are here today and gone tomorrow? You know, the Bible says they're like grass. They grow up and they wither in the afternoon sun and they're gone. Again, we can rest. When we're in trial, we can rest in that trial because we know that the result is going to be endurance, which is a good thing. And we're going to be built up in the spirit. Complaining is a sin because basically we're agreeing with bad experience that God is not good. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. I hope I didn't malign that too much. I feel like I slaughtered that point. So what does our experience say? Oftentimes our experience does say that God is not good. So, I mean, let's just be honest there. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. I want to ask a couple more questions. And one of them is this idea, is the goodness of God in question in heavenly spheres? I got a scripture for you, and I'll flesh this out a little bit and explain to you what I mean by this. In Ephesians chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter, are these following words. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedience. This would be the Satan, the adversary. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's a heck of a sentence, isn't it? But basically what he wants to do is he wants to display his kindness by having us in heaven. This renegade rebel race, he's gone through all this trouble, sent his son in the flesh, died on the cross. Why? To save us. We're like a trophy in heaven. We're going to be like a witness to God's goodness. And again, it says through his kindness. And again, I said kindness is a behavior that comes out of goodness, moral virtue. His moral virtue causes him to be kind, and he's been incredibly kind to us. So again, let me just read it one more time. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He might display his immeasurable riches. It's crazy. This is how I get this question. Is the goodness of God somehow in question in heavenly realms? I'm going to say I lean towards yes. Because the Satan, the adversary, is also known as the accuser. You know, a leopard doesn't change its spots. So he's the accuser of the brethren. I also think he's the accuser of the creator. Because where do you think that these unbelievers get this idea that God is not good? 
And why is it that we doubt God's goodness from our experience sometimes when bad things happen to us? Why do we complain as though somehow we're victims and that God has not allowed this, that somehow some injustice has come our way and that we're caught up in something that is unjust? Well, I would say it's the accuser comes in, whispers in your ear, or has planted this thought long ago that bad things don't happen to good people unless those good people have done something wrong. The very thing that Job got caught up in. Well, unbelievers look around at the world and they go, how can there be a good God? You know, when you look at all the people that are starving and the disease, and right now we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic, where is that good God in the midst of all this? If he's so good, why has he allowed all this? We see, to me, I hear the words of the devil, the Satan in that, accusing God. Those are all accusations against God. And so I do believe that the goodness of God is in question in heavenly spheres, that the enemy of our souls has made accusations. And I don't know if this is an attempt to lure away other divine beings, other angels, seraphim, cherubim, whatever it might be. But I do believe that God's goodness is in question in heavenly places. So I want to end with this thought. Does it matter if God is good? So we've spent all this time, and I haven't so much been trying to convince you that God is good. I just want you to think about, I just want us both to think about this idea that is God good? And what does that mean? But in the end, I want to say, does it matter if God is good? And this is what I mean. What if we come to the conclusion that he isn't good? Well, he's the only God we've got. It's not like we're on some kind of like speed dating show and okay, so I've chatted with this guy for five minutes. I don't like him. So I'm moving on to the next guy. There's no other option. He's the only living God and he's created me. That's the other side of this is I'm a created thing. I'm essentially owned. I mean, what you create is yours. If I build something, what I've built is mine and God built me. He created me, so uh, he owns me. He can do what he wants with me. So I'm not really in a position to reject him, am I? I don't really have a lot of cards in my hand. That's my point. He's the only God that we've got. There's no other place to go. So if I was to come to the conclusion someday that God is not good, would it really make a difference? I've got nowhere else to go. Besides, to judge him as not being good, we would first have to be a higher moral judge. That's the other part of this. That's the other part of this. In order for me to make the determination that, well, I don't, I really don't think that God is very good. I got to be a better judge than him. I've got to have a greater morality than him. Of course, people do this, but they do this out of their pride and arrogance. They don't think about what they're saying here. How absurd that any human being would think that they were in a position to judge God. I don't want to be insensitive. There are plenty of things that happen where I'm just like, wow, God, what were you thinking? Okay, I don't understand. I, rather than judge him, I ask for wisdom and enlightenment. I said, Lord, I don't understand why that went down like that, but you're a revealer of secrets. If you could clue me in on that, that would be great because I'm boggled. And I'll just tell you, 99.9% .9 of the time, he leaves me hanging. And I think he does that because it puts me in a place where I just have to trust his wisdom. When you quote unquote, trust somebody because you understand what they're up to, you're not really trusting them. Trust comes about when you have no clue why somebody is doing what they're doing. And yet you trust them anyways. And I really feel like God puts us in a lot of those situations. So if you find yourself 
that you're experiencing life in such a way where your experience is telling you that God isn't very good. Maybe that's why God is putting you in a wonderful position to exercise some trust and have faith that when he tells you that he has goodness and mercy that is going to follow you all your days, that that is not a lie. That is the truth, regardless of your experience. Is God good? I believe he is. Thanks for listening. <laughs>